So um, when I was in Bethlehem, um, we visited what's called the Church of the Nativity. And this is a church that is built over the location that they presume is where Jesus was born. Uh, but you notice something really interesting about this church, and you can, you can see the, the church itself. It's a really big church. It's a really big facility um, that you kind of walk towards. There's an entrance that everybody is kind of ushered into, and this is the door, and it's a very strange door. Uh, go to the next picture, because as you, as you walk in, this is how you have to go in to the church. You have to get low to get through that door. Now, for those of you that like history, the churches were designed in a lot of ways this way to keep uh, uh, invaders on horses from riding into the sanctuary and disturbing worshipers. But there's a two-sided coin here. It's not just for protection, but when you walk into a building having to do this, you can't walk in like this, can you? You can't. Uh, there were several different churches that we went into that, that had this kind of an entrance into. Uh, this one right here was a Coptic church in Jerusalem, and there actually is a sign above the door that says, watch your head. And I'm not kidding you, uh, we were walking the Via Dolorosa, we were kind of going the road of, the, of Jesus as he was headed to the cross, and this is one of the stops you actually go through this door. I was busy being super spiritual and writing something down in my journal while I was walking. I knew the low door was coming. I did not get low enough. And stone does not move. Your head does. I rang my bell and I was so trying to keep it together. I was like, do not fall down, Jason. While you were walking with all these people, do not fall down, keep it together. But I did not get low. I stayed up. I thought I was low. I was not low enough. One of the interesting things about the Gospel of Mark is its portrayal of Jesus as servant. Now, I have, I have talked with people who are upset by the idea that not all of the Gospels have a genealogy of like the line of Jesus. Like, why doesn't Mark put it in there? Mark doesn't put it in there. Well, if you know Mark's audience, Mark was writing to Roman Gentiles, people who did not have a background in Jewish history. They didn't know about all these messiahs. They didn't know about all this different stuff, nor would they have been interested in the genealogy of a servant. Like, this is the portrait Mark's gospel paints. It is a servant, specifically God's obedient servant. So why would they care if there was a genealogy of a slave? They wouldn't. Mark did a great job of laying the foundation that Jesus serves. And it wasn't just this picture of just this poor, poor servant. It was this powerful and not like us. God among us. One of the greatest descriptions I've heard of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is they all, they all approach Jesus a little differently. And that's actually for our benefit. Like, if you have a, four, a, four, a quartet of stringed instruments, the likeness that I've heard is each of those make a different sound, but when you put all four together, they make this beautiful music that you just, that is crazy. The best, the best description of I've seen the harmony of the Gospels work together. Mark's focuses in on the servant. Jesus 
the servant. Now, a common theme of every time Jesus teaches something of his death, of his serving, of his laying down of his life, like last week, what we talked about, it was the second time Jesus tells the disciples, going to Jerusalem, I'm gonna, die. I'm gonna be betrayed, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna raise from the dead. And the disciples are like, we don't understand and we're too afraid to ask you what you're talking about. There is a common theme among the disciples after they don't understand Jesus' teaching. And that is to not just talk about it, but then to completely blow it in every way possible after Jesus' teaching. And then what does Jesus do? He sits down and he teaches them. Because we are slow. We are hard-hearted. We are thick-skulled. We like our ways. We are prideful. Jesus takes the time to sit with the disciples when they do not understand. Apparently this morning, it is the exact same scenario. And I hope you don't get tired of the exact same scenario because we're, we're the same. Like this is us. When you look at this, this is when the Bible as the mirror pops up. You're like, oh, I get that. I understand that. That's me. I don't get a lot of things. Jesus, thanks for taking time to teach. And that's what he does. But apparently the disciples, they weren't speechless after Jesus' prediction of his life, death, and resurrection. They were actually consumed, and they talked a lot from one place to the next. And so if you read Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 33. After they arrived at Capernaum, this is the disciples, after they've, been, they've heard these phrases of Jesus, and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. I mean, wow, right? I mean, we look at this and we go, this is just ridiculous. I mean, of all the times to talk about something like this, like after Jesus speaks about his death, for you to be consumed with talking about being the greatest and not just wrong timing, but wrong person, wrong place. Like, you're walking with Jesus. That's like them, me, getting around Steph Curry and talking about how great a shooter I am. That's like me standing at the Grand Canyon and beginning to be consumed with how awesome I am. This doesn't make sense. But yet, we learn a lot about the human heart in this moment. Jesus asks them about their topics of conversation out on the road. And I love that Jesus words it this way. He says, what were you guys talking about on the road? This was not just about a physical journey for them. This was about life. Life and the entire journey that you and I will be on. Jesus is often referred to as our teacher on the way. When we were doing the, um, the, the Stations of the Cross in Jerusalem, our prayer time together as pastors always started a prayer with Jesus, our teacher on the way. Knowing that this life is a journey and it is a long haul, it is not a sprint, it is not quickly over or done, it is a long haul. And so for you and me, we have this teacher on the way. And the disciples were walking, and for us, we get a front row seat of them unpacking everything that they're learning on the way. When you and I 
Maybe you go to the museum and you're like me and you're like, I don't need that headset. I'm gonna go and walk and learn it all myself. I'm gonna read everything. I'm gonna walk and do it. I don't need no headset. I'm not paying $3. I know everything. I've Googled it. I Wikipedia'd this bad boy. I don't need the headset. Truth is, you learn a lot with those headsets. Like, when you walk through a museum with that headset on and then you type in the number of that little number that, that tells you where you are, I'm amazed at the stuff you begin to learn on the way. This is how Jesus teaches you and me. It's oftentimes when we're in the midst of life, journeying and going, that he speaks. He restores, he convicts, he changes the way we think about one thing to think about it the way he thinks about it. What were you talking about on the road? The second thing you and I see from this picture is that though the disciples walked with Jesus, listened to Jesus, served with Jesus, they totally missed the point. Hard hearts reveal are revealed by what we talk about. You talk about what you love on the road. What you are consumed with speaking about didn't start here, it started here. So for the disciples to be speaking about how great they are, didn't start here, it started here. And so when Jesus says, what are you talking about on the road? What are you consumed with in your conversations? Your next thing? Your next stop? What you're up to? Where you're going? Jesus said, out of, the, out of the heart comes everything that includes our words. Out of our mouths comes what dwell inside. What is revealed by the disciples' conversation is that they were still consumed with power and status and a power and status that is not reflective of the kingdom. As a society though, we have not changed much. We just pretty it up more. In this very twilight zone-ish world, your online status makes everything else easier or more difficult for you in life. Credit scores, house loans, car rentals, everything is based on your online rank and status. You live for status. Do you? Can you relate to the disciples jockeying for position? Are you obsessed with a little one by one square image in your phone? Do you live for the double tap? Oh, this hurts a little bit, right? Oh, man. Maybe a little, I do. <laughs> Good. If you can admit that, because Jesus says, come and, come and sit with me for a few minutes. The disciples were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. The Greek word there is megas. You hear it? Mega. Mega. Like the biggest, the loudest. The disciples were arguing about who was the greatest, the loudest, who was the one who stood above all the rest. I am so glad, to be quite honest, that the qualifiers aren't used in this argument. Like, I'm so glad we are not privileged to hear the disciples say, 
why they were greater. I'm just glad that they were humble enough for Peter to go, Mark, if you're gonna put that in there, please just say we had the conversation. Don't tell him what we said. <laughs> please just let them know that we're dumb enough to talk about this and how badly we need Jesus. But please don't tell them the words we said to each other. Please don't tell them that I said, I have a thousand Facebook friends. Don't tell them that I said I have 95 followers on Instagram. Don't tell them I said I have 20, 27 subscribers on YouTube. Please just leave it out and tell everyone we argued about who was the greatest. That'll make them know that we really do need Jesus. I'm glad that we don't have the qualifiers, but I'm glad we have this story. These guys knew that they sounded foolish. Not because status wasn't important. In their culture, status was very important and it would have been a natural conversation for them to have, but they felt foolish because of just how clear the contradiction would have been, would have been looking at Jesus. As Jesus walked with people, he served the poor, the sick, the immoral, the dying. The disciples had not seen someone consumed with their version of greatness, but consumed with serving. So yes, it's better that they keep quiet in front of Jesus. And to be quite honest, if Jesus had been concerned about status, those that he welcomed would not have boosted his popularity. Jesus spends time unpacking how to get to the end of the line next with his disciples. Mark 9, 35 says this, He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. It's always fun when somebody you respect says, come and sit down next to me. Like I had a lot of those come and sit down next to me moments in middle school and in high school. Because you knew somebody was about to tell you something you didn't know. Like that's how it works. You got called into the office, come sit right here. Or when your mom or your dad or your uncle or your coach, come sit down right here. Come sit down next to the end of the bench with me. Come sit down, I have some things to tell you. And I love that Jesus sits down and he calls them over and he says, so you boys wanna be great, huh? Let me tell you about greatness. And he says these things to them. He says, do all that you can do to get to the end of the line. And the second is connected to the first, be the servant to everyone else. And this is where I can hear James leaning over to Peter going, not sure he really understands coming in first place. And this is where Jesus goes, James, you know I can hear you and it's you who has a, prop, a misunderstanding of what it means to be in first place. Jesus is changing the way the disciples look at status. He knows they know how the world works but he also knows they still don't understand how the kingdom works. And this is why I love that Jesus is our teacher on the way, because he knows we have a system, and he knows that we walk in a way that looks like the world that we live in, but he also knows we need to know the ways of the kingdom, and he takes time to teach. The Christ follower seriously asks, how do I get to the back of the line? This doesn't make sense. The Christ follower is consumed with the question, how do I get to the back of the line? This is not normal. 
This is not what we do. This is not how we are wired. We wanna get to the front of the line ASAP. We are willing to camp out for days to be at the front of the line. When we hear someone say go, we sprint not to the end of the line, but to the front. I don't see too many children celebrating their chance to be the caboose. I see teachers give rewards. And how are you rewarded? You get to be the line leader, right? And then everyone else is your servant. Look up to me, minions. I am the line leader. I have arrived. This is how children think. When I'm the line leader, I'm the boss. And everyone does what I say. You don't see teachers going, all right, you have been awesome this week. You get to be the caboose. A child would lose their ever-loving mind in that moment. I have not worked my whole life to be the caboose. I have behaved. I have been nice to children that I don't even like. I will be at the front of the line. We're no different than children. We really aren't. We really are not. But here's the danger of being in the front of the line. You and I, if we long for and desire and strive for the front of the line, there is an attitude that comes with being at the front. And it's a, I get to look back and I get to look down on everyone else. And everyone gets to watch me. Now, you and I, we typically strategize how to get to the front of the line. See, you and I, our natural is to only involve ourselves with people that can help us get to the front of the line, but I'm here to tell you, Jesus said, position will determine your posture. When you believe that somehow I've got to get to the front of the line, your posture will not be one of serving, it will be one of I will be served. And I'm gonna get there, and I'm gonna get there however I can. I won't be a servant, but I might just use those people to get where I need to go. It's what we do, it's how we're wired. Jesus is saying you will either use people or you will serve people. It's how it works. So there is a position that has to change. But what Jesus does with the second part of this verse is he gives you and I the quickest way to the end of the line. Verse 35, listen again. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Jesus, known as the servant of all, tells us to intentionally head to the back of the line. This is not accidental, this is intentional. And if Jesus is Lord, we make efforts to get to the end of the line. And if you are questioning, how do I get to the end of the line? You start welcoming the least. You want a beeline straight to the end of the line, you start welcoming those who can do nothing for you. You start saying hello and embracing those who you get nothing from, who can't pay you back, who cannot return the favor, who cannot give you any boost status-wise, feeling-wise, emotionally-wise. You begin to welcome the least. This is the fastest way to the end of the line, folks. And it's where we as Christ followers were made to be. 
And in fact, it's our desire and it is our joy to move to the end of the line quickly because Jesus lived there. Jesus spends time unpacking how to get to the end of the line in the following verses, verse 36 and 37. Then he put a child among them, taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. I was on a flight recently. I don't sleep very well on flights, but I was hoping just picking a movie would help me fall asleep. And I ended up watching this movie, Fighting With My Family. It's this WWE movie. And that, I thought, would put me to sleep. Strangely enough, I was drawn into the story, all right? So I'm watching this family who is all about wrestling, professional wrestling, and they never make it beyond their little neighborhood. And they are known in their neighborhood as this wrestling family. Well, the son and the daughter of this mom and dad couple obsess over getting to the WWE. And they do everything they can. They call in all these different auditions and try and do these things. But in the process of trying to get to the big show, they start this wrestling school for the next generation. And it's like, it's, it's awesome. This van ride is these little kids sitting in this van, rocking out to this punk rock music. But there's this little band of kids that are left out. They're not seen as valuable. Some of them are on the verge of throwing their lives away. There's even a blind kid that they are teaching to wrestle. And it's this amazing investment in the next generation for wrestling. But what happens in this story is they get the phone call from the WWE. They get the call. And so they're like, this is our shot, yes! And so they, they go to this audition. And the way the story is, and this is a very early in the movie and it's not really giving anything away, it's the sister gets the call. The brother doesn't. And so the brother's life begins to spiral out of control. He begins to get jealous because his sister got the call back and he's been wanting it his whole life and he just didn't have what she had. And, they, and he just begins to question everything. He begins to unplug from investing in the next generation of wrestlers. He skips picking them up. And so you see the heartbreak of the kids going, my community is falling apart. Like you see, the, you see the blind kids sitting on the swing, waiting for the van, blasting loud music to show up and pick him up and take him to be a part of this rowdy bunch of kids to wrestle, and it never comes. And so he's in a bar, and he gets into this fight, and his sister's home, and she comes and finds him, and they have this confrontation, and, and he's like, what am I supposed to live for now? Like, you got the shot, you're there. And his sister looks at him and is like, don't you have any clue what you're doing? Like, you're teaching the next generation of great wrestlers. You're even teaching a blind kid. Who does that kind of stuff? And then she says to him, just because millions of people aren't watching you while you do it, doesn't mean it's not important. As I'm listening to these words, I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I'm getting choked up at a movie produced by the WWE. How lame am I? <laughs> I'm sitting on the airplane going, keep it together, Jason. Keep it together, because whether or not they know it, they're declaring the gospel announcement of welcoming children and investing in, in the hard kids who, who nobody else will invest in. They are welcoming these children. What is kingdom greatness? It's heading to the back of the line, not the front. And how do we get to the back of the line quickest? We serve the insignificant. We welcome the weakest. We protect the powerless. 
Jesus placed a child among them. He put him in his arms. And he didn't welcome this child because he wanted the disciples to think, oh, that child is innocent and pure. Jesus knew better, because y'all children be sinning. Children be sinning. This wasn't about purity or their innocence. This was much more than that. Jesus, what Jesus did in embracing those who lacked social status, those who couldn't offer him a status boost and do nothing in return for him, only backs up his teaching. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a party and he takes an opportunity to teach. And he says these words, he says, he turned to the host, look, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then after the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. It's not a like for like. It's not a double tap, double tap. It's not a, hey, I liked your photo. Why don't you ever like any of mine? It's I, we don't live that way. The truth is, when I am willing to be identified as weak, I will identify with the weak. But as long as I associate myself with strength and power, I will avoid and worse, reject associating with weakness and those that seem insignificant. In Jesus' eyes, service will always outweigh status. You will either desire to be the greatest in the kingdom, which means you intentionally serve others and you head to the back of the line, or you will live for attaboys. You will live for the double taps and you cannot have both. One will always push out the other. As we close this morning, and, and Nate, you and the band can come, the last will welcome the least. We stay low, we welcome the low. And when you intentionally make your way to the end of the line, to the lowest place, guess what? It is impossible to look down on anyone. It is a heart guarding process. When you are intentional about saying, I will go to the end of the line, guess what? There's no one behind you and there's no one to look down on. So if we're an audience or we're a people or we're Christ followers or a church who are busy looking down on others, where does that say we're heading to in the line? And this is a hard, hard look at who we align ourselves with. If the tendency is a quickness to look down on others, chances are we've elbowed our way to a position in line that we're not even supposed to be headed for. The follower of Jesus is recognized how they respond to those who hold neither position nor importance. And I don't want you to miss Jesus' final words as we head into communion this morning. Verses 30, verse 37 says this, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me and anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me but also my father who sent me while jesus is showing us his value of welcoming the seemingly insignificant and giving them significance he's also pointing to himself what the world sees is powerless and insignificant jesus says is actually the way to knowing god for a person to say that they know god they welcome God, they want God, 
and yet they reject the powerless or the statusless is to actually reject Jesus and to reject Jesus is to actually tell God that you don't believe him. If we look at Jesus and go, you know what? Not a big deal. We are actually saying to God, we really don't believe you. That's what's being declared when we say no to the things Jesus teaches. As we say, God, we really don't believe you and we're more satisfied and content with our opinions about you. Not necessarily what may be true of you. The world is consumed with status before men, but Jesus points to a more important status, and that is reconciled to God. That is the status that we care most about, and it is a gift. It's been given to us. It's been passed to us through Christ, not through what we've done. I can't five-star myself enough to get God to go, five stars, Jason. I can't double tap enough photos of Jesus doing stuff. I can't five star enough prayer, uh, forward this and you'll be blessed, a Facebook post. I can't do those enough. I can't serve enough, worship enough, give enough, attend church enough to get a five star rating. I just can't. This status before God has been given as a gift. And Jesus said that when you welcome a child, someone who has no status, you welcome me. And when you welcome me, you welcome my Father who sent me. As you go to the corners of the room this morning, would you hear Jesus's key words in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many, the cross is the ultimate sign of powerlessness and no status to the world, but to those who believe Jesus, welcome him, they know it's the power of salvation. He's done it all. He's done everything that we need. So will you welcome Jesus this morning? And by welcoming him, will you welcome those that he welcomes? Students, Middle school and high school students, I want your eyes right here. Those of you that are helping this week a servant leader camp, you're not babysitting. You're taking Jesus's word seriously. And as you welcome a child, you are also welcoming him. And as you are welcoming him, you are welcoming his father who sent him. It is no small thing to get down on the level of a child and say, come here. Friends, if you believe we live in a society that sees it differently than Jesus' day, you're wrong. We still see those who are insignificant and believe they can do nothing for us today. And as Christ followers, it cannot be so. So when you go to the table this morning, before you go and take the body of Christ that was given for you and your status-hungry self, and my status-hungry self, will you repent of status? Will you repent of associating with those who can gain you status? Will you also say, Jesus, help me choose the end of the line quicker? And in doing so, will I welcome those who the world doesn't value? This is our prayer before we go and are reminded of what Christ himself did. Although the world saw it as powerless, 
we see it as the power of God to save us. Go and take this meal and be reminded that the quickest way to the end of the line is to look at Jesus. Father, we love you. And I ask that as these, this meal is taken, that you would help us see where we are putting status above service, where we care more about what others can gain us than actually giving our life away. Jesus, you modeled giving your life away and pouring it out. And Lord, the only way to do that is by staying connected to you. And as we take this meal, we are reminded that you live in us, that your Holy Spirit has given us everything we need to rush to the end of the line so that we may be a people who serve, Lord, those who are very, very, very significant to you, but may seem insignificant to the world. Let us be a people who live this way. It's in your name we pray.